We're now in the 10th week of a sermon series titled, What is the Church? Um, this has been an extremely helpful series. Um, over the last, this is the third week in this series in which we are focusing on biblical eldership. We looked at membership before that. We looked at what is the local church uh, before that. And this has been an extremely helpful series, uh, I, I think, for many of us. For me, it feels a, a little bittersweet right now uh, because we're going to close this sermon series next Sunday. And through these weeks, I've felt the weight of God's word as I've preached uh, through this series. If I were to look back at all the earlier nine sermons, I would um, summarize it in one sentence. If I had to summarize it in one sentence, this is what I would say. I would say that membership in a local church is a covenantal lifestyle of worship, fellowship, service, and engaging our culture with the gospel. All believers are called to joyfully embrace this covenantal lifestyle. There is no doubt that Christ the chief shepherd, he is the head of the covenantal community of the local church. And then there are elders and there are members in this covenantal community. There are also deacons. We're not going to be talking about deacons in this series. We'll revisit that later when we're ready to appoint deacons. The past couple of weeks, uh, we've been looking at the God-given responsibility of elders. We've been seeing that elders have a responsibility to lovingly preach and teach God's word to members. They have a responsibility to, to lovingly shepherd them, to lovingly protect the members from false teaching and doctrine, and to appoint more elders as the church grows so that the entire congregation can be well cared for. We do all of this under Christ, the chief shepherd. And in this covenantal community of the local church, just as God has given elders some God-given responsibilities, members also have some God-given responsibilities towards elders. So today we're going to be looking at the responsibility that members have towards the elders in a local church. And the New Testament has a lot to say on this. I've kind of looked at all of these passages diligently, and I've tried to distill them into three clear ways in which members in the, are called to honor and to serve elders. And so here are the three responsibilities that members of a local church have toward their elders. First, we're called to love our elders and their wives and children too. Second, we're called to submit to our elders. And third, we're called to compensate our elders for their spiritual labor. Three things. Love your elders, submit your elders, compensate your elders well for their spiritual labor. We're going to look at each of these three. Let's start with the first. Love your elders. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This sermon is typically, generally most weeks we would do an expository sermon. We would take a passage or work our way through a book. Uh, today's sermon and this series in that sense has been a little bit of an exception. 
uh, we've tried to look at and synthesize different aspects of the New Testament and the Bible, what it says about the church, and kind of try to put it together. Uh, it's helpful to keep that in mind. Love your elders. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. We saw a couple of weeks ago that God has called elders to both lovingly encourage and lovingly correct or when needed even rebuke members. Loving encouragement and loving correction are both different but essential expression of God's love for his people through biblically qualified elders in a local church. And this verse is calling members of the church to love the elders who admonish them in a godly way. Very simply put, this verse that we looked at is calling us to esteem highly in love the elders who admonish us. But here is the problem. If an elder does not admonish you when needed, he is failing to love you well. On the other hand, if an elder does, does admonish you, you will probably love him less. <laughs> do, do you see the irony here? If an elder does not admonish you, he's failing, failing God, and he's failing you. On the other hand, if he does admonish you, you're very likely to love him less for it. It is never easy to accept admonishment. How loving it may be, how gentle it may be, it, it is never easy. I, I, I get that. Do you remember the passage about submitting to elders that we saw in the second sermon two weeks ago? Not second, two weeks ago. That was from 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. It essentially said, essentially in one verse, the apostle Paul, Peter said, Submit to elders because God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. Submit to elders because God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. And this verse communicates in 1 Peter 5, communicates a very powerful truth. About 15 years ago, um, I was uh, much before this. This was maybe seven years ago. So 15 years ago, I was a very uh, enthusiastic young man. I still am young. Uh, I had a lot of very good ideas about the church. I had a lot of very creative ideas, but my understanding of the church at that point in time was incomplete. I had a lot of innovative, creative ideas for the church, contextual ideas for the church, but I had very little love for the people in the church. At that point in time, Aji and I, we were part of another church, and one of these, one of, one day, the elder of the church uh, took me and uh, took me aside. Uh, he and his wife, the elder and his wife, took me aside and, and very lovingly, very gently rebuked me. Uh, they basically told me, Anand, you have a lot of good ideas, but you don't have love for people. And they were right. 
you need to spend a lot more time loving people, serving them, building a friendship, building a relationship. You need to be a lot more relational and not just keep going on and on and on about all the innovative ideas that you have. That was a rebuke. That was a correction. That was admonishment. There's no other way you can, no other way you can explain that. In God's grace, I was able to receive their correction. Equally important, in God's grace, I was able to continue, my wife and I, we were both able to continue loving them even after they had corrected us. I did not sulk. I did not withdraw. I took the correction to heart, continued loving them, and, and God worked in our lives. Looking back, I can tell you without hesitation that that was a very significant turning point in our lives. Because in God's grace, I was able to submit to the correction of the elder and continue to love him even after he corrected me, God's grace flowed into my life. You see, God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. If I had not received that rebuke well and continued to love that elder, New City Church may not have existed today. Or New City Church would have existed as a church full of ideas, but no people, or hardly any people. So the point I'm trying to make is not just about receiving the correction of elders, but also continuing to love them even when they admonish you. You honor elders by loving them even when they correct you. I don't need to tell you that no elder is perfect. Just as no human being is perfect. Just as no member is perfect. Just as no church is perfect. And so it is the grace of Jesus. And it's a longing for the day when he's going to come and make everything perfect again that gives us the strength and the grace to live with imperfect elders, imperfect members, and an imperfect church. If you stop loving elders when they lovingly, lovingly admonish you, you're dishonoring them. You're dishonoring the work God has called them to do, and in doing so, you're perhaps dishonoring God himself. Even at other times, when elders are not correcting you, but when elders are encouraging you and when elders are building you up in the faith, members have a responsibility to be intentional about loving them, loving your elders. Don't take elders for granted. Don't treat their loving service to you with a sense of entitlement. Now, I'll be very honest with you. Aji and I, we feel least loved when people deal with us with a sense of entitlement. It does happen a lot. Love your elders and their wives. Love their children too. You know, as I look back at the last 10 years of New City, uh, not just Aji and I, but, but Warun and Varsha have made uh, enormous sacrifices for a new city. I still remember uh, in the early days, and you know, if I, if I had to say even now, if you think of the setup team, uh, Warren and Varsha kids uh, have been part of the setup team for 10 years now. Every Sunday they're there at 9.30. I don't think anyone has come uh, uh, to New City and helped set up, set things up 
from 9.30 onwards. I still remember the days where Varun and I, from the YWCA days, which is our first meeting place, uh, we would carry the equipment. I mean, those days we didn't have much equipment. Uh, but we would carry, we would lay the chairs. Uh, Ajay and I we were meeting with some people. She talked about how on those days she had to clean the washroom of that facility once. And, you know, that's the kind of service that elders and their families joyfully do. Sometimes a lot of it is not seen at all. So love your elders. Uh, express your appreciation for their labor for your spiritual formation. Intentionally tell them how their labor is helping you grow. Thank them frequently. Celebrate your elders without flattering them or idolizing them. Defend your elders when someone criticizes them unfairly. The Bible commands us not to entertain any criticism against an elder unless it is corroborated by two or three witnesses. Protect your elders when others make unfair demands on their lives, uh, sometimes from a place of entitlement. Do you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7? It's a beautiful verse. Love always protects. Love protects. The members of a local church have a significant responsibility in loving and protecting their elders. There's a book which is written about pastors. I think Paul Tripp, if I remember. Uh, the name of the book is Dangerous Calling. And the argument of the book is pastoring is bad for your soul. <laughs> it is. It's not easy. Caring for people in the context of a church. So protect your elders. Pray for your elders. Pray for your elders. They need, we need your prayers. Another very important word on the wives of elders. Unlike an elder, an elder's wife is not called to exercise authority over the church. But an elder's wife is called to and does love the church and sacrifices for the church as much as, as an elder. If you know Aji, she has never taken a place of headship in the church. But over the last 10 years, she's made enormous sacrifices for the church. Humanly speaking, in the light of her sacrifices for the church, humanly speaking, she has every right to exercise authority over the church. But she delights in God's complementarian design. She delights in the unique role and service God has called her to as a woman. If you, there, if you were there at our worship night last Wednesday, you would have seen Aji serve the church well in her unique gifting as a woman, facilitating in a beautiful way a fresh new way of experiencing God's word. We talked about complementarianism a few weeks ago. True complementarianism is not just about male headship. It is also, equally so, about women flourishing gloriously in their unique gifting in Christ. For her sacrifices as an elder's wife, she deserves as much love as an elder. And here's another important thing about the wives of our elders. An elder's wife may not assume headship in a church on her own, 
But that does not mean that an elder's wife has no say at all. On the contrary, an elder's wife, along with the elder, with her elder, with her elder husband, can play and should play a significant role in the church. We see this unfold in the church at Ephesus. A Christian named Apollos, uh, quite obviously a leader, he came into the church at Ephesus. He was a learned man, the Bible tells us. He spoke with great fervor. He taught about Christ. But his understanding was not complete. And then Acts chapter 18 verse 26 tells us that when Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla was a wife, Aquila was a husband, Aquila was probably an elder. When Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos, they invited him to their home and together explained to him the way of God more adequately. Priscilla along with her husband Aquila helped Apollos, helped teach Apollos together, the husband and wife combination, helped teach Apollos who was a leader. So the wives of elders do have a significant role, even though biblically they may not assume a headship. And we must love them. One last word on, on the wives of pastors and elders. If you remember last week, we saw that elders and pastors are not two different terms. They are used interchangeably in the Bible. They mean one and the same thing. If you're a pastor, you're an elder. If you're an elder, you're a pastor. Some wives of pastors may choose to be less involved in ministry and focus more on their vocation or family. We must also respect this. Remember, you don't get a wife free when you get an elder. You know, in the Indian cultural context, we, we, we often mistake this. We just assume just because someone's a pastor or an elder, his wife must always be available. No, no, you don't get a wife free when you get an elder. It's really up to that uh, elder's wife, along with the elder, to determine how much time the wife would uh, like to give to ministry in different seasons of life. You see, an elder's wife is also a wife. She's also a mother to infants in some seasons. She's a mother to young children in some seasons. She's a mother to teenagers in some seasons. She's a mother, mother to adult children in some seasons. She's a grandmother in some seasons. And she's a working woman, a career-oriented woman in some seasons. Right? So we must not, we must honor that. And give, give the wives of elders the space. They, they, and only, they and along with their husband elder, have the right to determine uh, how much they are able to give and want to give. These are ways in which we, 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 so we must love our elders, love their wives, love their children. That is the first way to honor elders. Love your elders. They need your love. Just as you need their love, they need your love. And this is the beauty of God's church. Elders, members, we are members of one body. We belong to one another. The love of Christ, which has gripped every one of us, compels us to love and serve one another in alignment with God's design with his blueprint for his church. Second, submit to your elders. Submit to them. We've touched upon it uh, a couple of weeks ago, but let me just quickly uh, spend a couple of minutes on this. The Bible calls us to obey and submit to our elders for our own good. And there's a verse in Hebrews which, which truly understands uh, the heart of an elder, which kind of uh, really connects with the challenges 
that elders face when they shepherd the congregation. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your elders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give, who will have to give an account. And then the next verse, let them do so with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. If you don't continue loving your elders, even when they admonish you, you make their ministry hard. And making their ministry hard is not only counterproductive for them, the Bible is inviting us to see it's also counterproductive to you. Because if you take the, and make the task of elders, if you, if you cause them groaning, they are not going to be able to serve you with joy. And, and this passage is inviting us to see that elders are humans too. Not just humans, but elders are sinners saved by grace, being saved by grace just as every other member of the church. And that's the beauty of, of how the gospel redeems every single one of us. How Jesus, he is the only chief shepherd. He is the one, only one who can save us all. Everything else is a channel of his grace flowing into our lives. So that's the second thing. <clears throat> Submit to your elders. The third thing that the Bible, the New Testament, really talks about a lot is this, compensate elders for their spiritual labor. Well, a lot of pastors feel very awkward about this. And I want to be absolutely clear about this. We are talking about pastors' salaries here. I have no hesitation talking about this because the Word of God talks so much about this. And it is my joy, privilege, and responsibility to faithfully teach God's word as an elder to the congregation that God has entrusted me with. So, I'm not awkward at all. I'm talking about this. And I'm going to talk about this very directly. And I'm going to talk about this very directly because the New Testament is talking about this so directly. I mean, it just beats me how so many churches just don't see these uh, uh, commands and who kind of don't really uh, take them to heart. The New Testament speaks very directly about the responsibility in this way of the members' responsibility to compensate the elders well. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 to 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. This passage tells us that elders are worthy of double honor. Now, what on earth does double honor mean? Does it mean you say good morning twice when you come in on church? What does double honor mean? You know, thankfully, we don't have to guess what double honor means because the passage clearly tells us what this double honor means. Elders are worthy of double honor. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. The honor here is referring to wages. I'm sure all of us know that the Bible never exaggerates anything. So when the Bible says things like double honor... It means what it says. It's not just saying that as an empty exaggeration. 
So double honor simply means elders must be amply compensated for their labor. Listen, this is not one verse in the New Testament that I'm clinging to. This teaching that members of a local church have a responsibility to reward their, to reward their elders well for their labor is there all over the New Testament. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let the one who's taught the word, we saw the role of elders is to teach the God's word, let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, we don't expect to come with you on your holiday, next holiday. <laughs> Joking. We are called to share in all good things. I don't know. If you have any other interpretation of this verse, please let me know. It's pretty simple, direct. I don't think there can be any doubt about what this verse means. Let's look at another passage, and this is a fairly long passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 to 14. It'll come up for us on screen. For it is written in the law of Moses... You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. The law that Paul is referring to is from the Old Testament. And if you remember the Old Testament, the tithes of the Israelites were the only means of provision for the Levites or the priests who served in the temple. If you remember the Levites, when, when God allotted inheritance to the 12 tribes of Israel, the Levites had no inheritance. And the Lord said, I am your inheritance to the, to the Levites. And he called for the tithes of the Israelites to provide for the Levites. And that's the law Paul is referring to here. Paul then goes on in this passage to establish that this law of Moses is applicable even in the New Testament in the very next verse. It comes up there for us on the screen. Is it, is it for the oxen that God is con concerned? When God says don't muzzle an ox, is, is God talking to you about oxen? Does he, certainly, does he not certainly speak for our sake. So Paul is saying, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, that this is not only applicable for oxen, but it is also applicable for New Testament elders. Paul goes on to say, it was written for our sake, for the sake of all elders of the New Testament, because a plowman should plow in the hope that, and the thresher thresh in the hope of sharing the crop. So Paul is saying, an ox should eat from the field, a farmer who ploughs the field should eat from the field, he should share in the crop, elders who serve the church diligently should be compensated by the church that they serve in. This is not charity, this is not generosity, this is responsibility. I mean, if you go to a, if you send your kids for tuition, uh, when you write out a check for the tuition, you're not going to say, out of my large heart of generosity, I'm giving you tuition fees for your kid. We don't do that, do we? Why do we make such assumptions in the church? And Paul gets uncomfortably direct, uncomfortably even, even for me, in, in verse 11. And he says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And then Paul completes his argument in verses 13 and 14. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. And again, Paul connects the Old Testament to the New Testament and said that the, the design, the paradigm, God's uh, e e spiritual economics is connected from the Old Testament and the New when he says this in verse 14, immediately following verse 13. He says, in the same way, 
In the same way, just as the priests got their living from the temple, those who served in the altar got their uh, living from the uh, sacrificial offerings at the altar. In the same way, the apostle Paul says, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Paul was a tent maker for some seasons in his life. And even in this passage, he argues in some seasons, he he did not take that entitlement that you had. He did not exercise the right he had. Paul, Paul argues that. But Paul never generalizes and said elders should not expect any compensation. Uh, Paul is clearly establishing that the Old Testament practice and God's design of people providing for the priests through the tithe continues into the New Testament with members tithing to provide for the elders. I have shown you three passages in the New Testament that make a strong case, a clear case, uh, for members of a church to compensate their elders. First was the instruction to Timothy, and Timothy, if you remember, was an elder in the church at Ephesus. So Paul's giving that instruction to the church at Ephesus. Second, we saw the church at Galatia. Paul is giving the same instruction to the church at Galatia. Third is the church at Corinth, and Paul is giving the same instruction to the church at Corinth. Paul is giving the same instruction to three different churches. This is not a one-off guidance relevant only in that culture. This is an integral part of the New Testament teaching on the church. And so I don't at all feel awkward about talking in talking about pastor's salaries because it is my joy, privilege, honor, and responsibility to preach the whole counsel of God's word to the church He's called me to sub-shepherd unto Christ, uh, the ultimate shepherd. And this is one reason we, we celebrate the practice of tithing at New City Church. If you consider yourself a part of New City Church, and if you've been richly blessed by the preaching and teaching of God's word by the elders of this church, but if you're still not tithing, or at the very least, giving consistently, giving a meaningful, making a meaningful contribution consistently, how are we obeying God's command, God's guidelines in honoring elders? A worker deserves his wages. Elders who preach and teach are worthy of double honor. Those who preach the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so if you consider yourself to be a member of the church, and if you're not tithing, and if we are not giving, at least giving regularly, are we not dismissing such clear and explicit commands and exhortations and guidelines given to us in the New Testament? Please do think about this. When it comes to tithing, there are three kinds of people. First, uh, there are people who, who, who joyfully tithe regularly. Over the last 10 years, New City Church has been built on the faithful tithing of such people. I want to take a minute to to pause and to celebrate every one of you who have been tithing consistently for years and giving generously and consistently for years on end. New City has about 80 to 90 adults, give or take, and of these, only about 20 are tithing or giving regularly and consistently. And this morning, as I do every time we talk about giving, I always take time to celebrate 
the 20 or so of you who have been tithing and giving generously and consistently, you are demonstrating radical faith. You are so impacted by the gospel that you are living in a way that's countercultural to the way the world lives. Your tithing, if you put that into SIP, is going to make you really rich in 10 years. The tithing you're giving, you're tithing and giving generously, will help you finish your home loan 10 years ahead of schedule. If you're tithing generously, the tithe you're giving is going to help you buy a car without a loan, a car that is three times bigger, maybe, maybe you know, one of these fancy electric cars or driverless cars. But you are being radical in the way you have allowed the gospel to shape your finances. And each of you have been building the church of Christ with your consistent giving. So to those of you who've been tithing regularly, who've been giving generously regularly, I want to say this. And I, want, I say this with the full authority that Christ has entrusted me as an elder. I want to say, because of your faithful giving, joyful giving, because of your gospel-centered giving, you will be blessed. Your children will be blessed. And your children's children will be blessed through your giving. So we celebrate your giving. The second category of people are those who want to tithe, who believe in tithing, but, but like I lived maybe 20 years ago, our personal finances are so messed up and we just haven't made a start. So the second group of people, they believe in tithing. They want to tithe, but it's just a question of getting started, uh, you know, or giving tithing or giving consistently, regularly. And, and to this group, I would say, don't feel guilty. You don't need to feel condemned. God's grace is working in us through a lifetime. God is not wanting to change you in one day. If God were to fix all your problems or all my problems in one day, I'm going to be crushed. But God in his graciousness works in us, sanctifies us over a lifetime. So if you believe in giving and you want to give, the Spirit of God is putting in your heart a desire to give, you don't need to feel condemned. You don't need to feel guilty. I hope you don't feel judged in this church. But we do want to encourage you to make a start. And if you need help in figuring that out, we're very happy to kind of help you. And so don't hesitate to reach out. Don't postpone. And make a small start. Start with 1%, start with 2%, start with a, with a number that you feel comfortable with. And as God gives you faith, continue to increase your giving. We encourage tithing, but we don't want to be legalistic about tithing uh, as well. So that's a second group of people. And to you, I would say, be accountable, be vulnerable. Talk about your fears. You know, if not for tithing, you need to overcome your fears about finances. Because ultimately, you and I both know that it's not money or our retirement savings that's going to provide for us, but Christ is our ultimate security. So even if not for the sake of tithing, you do need to overcome your fear of finances and put your trust and faith in God as the provider of all things for all of life. So it's important for you as it is for the church. The third group of people are those who do not believe in tithing. Uh, or they feel tithing is not there in the New Testament. Or they feel that they are free to tithe anywhere, that they have no obligation to tithe to the New Testament. And, or they believe that tithing is completely unbiblical. If there's someone who has 
who holds this view in your city, uh, I have good news for you. Uh, I am not going to argue with you. I have no desire to argue with you. You know, if you're rejecting so many clear and explicit commands in God's word, I have no, I'm under no illusion that you're going to listen to my persuasion. Uh, so, so I'm not going to make, I'm not even going to argue with you. But let me tell you this. From the very first day of this church plant, through the 10 years of his life, New City Church has been entirely built, 100%, entirely built on the faithful tithing of people. So if there's someone who feels that it is not biblical to tithe to the local church, I hope you do understand that you're enjoying the benefits of the tithing of other people. If you say, I don't believe in tithing, I don't believe I have, I'm under any obligation to give to the new local church, I hope you understand that every single Sunday, every piece of benefit, every goodness that you have in the church is made possible by the faithful tithing of people. Do you see the irony here? How can someone, or let me put it this way, try finding a church that is not built on tithing. Try finding a church that is not built on the faithful giving of its people. I don't know of any such churches. For 2,000 years, God's church has been built by the faithful tithing and giving of people like you and I. Biblically, the tithe must be given to the local church, not, not anywhere else. You're free to give, and we encourage you to give beyond the tithes to everything else. Be generous, radically generous. Biblically, tithing is not generosity. Giving consistently to the local church, even if you don't tithe, that's all right. Giving regularly and consistently to the local church is not generosity. It is responsibility. So what you give over and above the tithe or whatever you're giving us to the local church, that is, that is generosity. And so 2,000 years, this is how God has built his church. So let me summarize all that I've said, and then I'll close with one last thought. Let me summarize. Three things we said. We honor elders by loving them and their wives and children when they encourage us and when they correct us. We honor elders by submitting to their labor of spiritual formation in us. We honor elders by tithing and giving regularly so that they are compensated well and can devote their full time to serving the church. You know, this is not the first time I'm talking about giving in the local church. We preached several sermons before and over the last 10 years. And I want to celebrate every one of you in the church. Every time we've preached, uh, there's been no pushback. There's been a joyful discernment of God's word, a joyful discernment that the preaching of this church is in alignment with God's word, and you have responded abundantly, joyfully. I've never faced a single criticism that, you know, you're talking about giving too much, or you're, not, you're, you're, talking, you're, you're talking about giving is unbalanced or unbiblical. And if you noticed, someone said that yesterday, that uh, we've never preached on giving uh, with Malachi. Give and you will be blessed. That is true, but that's not our pitch for giving. Our motive for giving is not to get more. Giving to the local church is not an SIP. I can assure you that. It's not a systematic investment plan. Giving to the local church is Christ-like sacrifice. Whoever loses his life will find it. 
unless you lay down your life and follow me, Jesus said, you're not worthy of me. Giving is costly. You're not really giving. I'm not really giving till it costs me something. And that it is our joy and our privilege to bear that cost. And that's the thought that I want to close with. When members of a local church, followers of Jesus, when they tithe, it is a remarkable demonstration of our faith to the world. If you tell your colleagues, people who are not followers of Christ, that you give 10% of your income to the church every month, they're going to be shocked. They're going to be amused. They'll probably mock you for it. What is their response? They're going to take note. It's a testimony. It's a demonstration of our faith to the world. When elders forsake career options or whatever they forsake, that whatever God calls them and empowers them to forsake, when they forsake all that and serve the church as Christ served the church, that too is a remarkable demonstration of our faith to the world. You see, ultimately, this is not about money. Ultimately, this is sacrificial living and giving of both members and elders that together as a body of Christ displays the beauty of Jesus to the world. We keep saying this. Jesus changes everything. He gives us such joy and freedom to us in every aspect of our lives, not the least finances. If Jesus, the Son of God, gave his entire life away to save us by his death on the cross, if God the Father laid his beloved Son on the altar to ransom us, to give him as a ransom for our sins, is it really that hard to give away 10% or whatever it is that you feel you're ready and able to give at this point in time. Our giving is an expression of our joy in Jesus and what he has done for us. Let us pray. Father, we believe that the word of God is powerful. Lord, we believe in faith that Faithful, humble, diligent preaching of your word will shame the world and glorify Christ Jesus. Lord, your word, the preaching of your word, the preaching of your gospel is powerful, Lord, to break the stranglehold of the world. Your word is powerful. Your word, your spirit, your community, Lord, gospel community is powerful, to enable us not to confirm to the pattern of the world, but to be renewed, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. That we might offer our bodies, our lives, our finances as living sacrifices, as our act of spiritual worship. And Lord, I believe uh, even now, as we faithfully preach your word, your spirit is here to empower us, not just to give more, but deep inside to work in our hearts to, to help every one of us overcome every fear of the future, 
to overcome every fear we have in the realm of finances and our careers. And to help us, Lord, trust in Christ alone. And I truly believe this is about the work, the Spirit's work of sanctifying and our sanctification in our hearts. And this is not about our personal finances. We thank you for New City, for your faithfulness, for the people who've given faithfully to build your church faithfully over the last 10 years. We thank you for all of that. And we pray for the next 10 years, Lord. Help every one of us put our hands to the plow to labor for the one who, re who redeemed us, for, for our labor for the one who redeemed us by his death and resurrection from the dead. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.